at Redeemer Christian Church. Uh, one, one other announcement. I know, I know that was a lot this morning, but next week we're going to start taking communion by coming up here in two rows again. And I sent out an email describing sort of the logistics behind that. But we're going to have cubed bread that you can grab individually. And then I will be on one side, whoever's preaching on one side, and then an elder on the other side. And you will exit this way and we will have uh, grape juice and wine that you can grab. And grape juice will be on the outer ring of the tray. So if you have any questions about that, uh, please reach out to me. I, again, I sent an email kind of detailing all of that out again, um, and I, I didn't mean to distract you from the text uh, to give you that announcement, but I just wanted to say that up front. So um, it's our practice here at Redeemer to spend, spend some moments in silence before I preach, and part of why we do that is because we believe that the Holy Spirit is God. And that God uh, inhabits his people in real time. And that when, when the word is uh, read and when it's preached, what the Holy Spirit does, he, he comes into the text and he makes it alive to our hearts so that it, it not only makes sense, but it animates us. And so that's why we pray. We're, we are uh, sitting in silence for a moment and, and asking God the Spirit to come and, and inhabit this space with us right now. So let's do that. Father, we ask that you would pour yourself out onto us right now and animate us, make us alive, and help us to know that um, you uh, interact with, with uh, people that seem uh, like they're outsiders, like they're so far away from you, but, but in reality, uh, their heart belongs to you. And I ask, Lord, now that we would see uh, ourselves in this Syrophoenician woman um, and that we, we would learn from her. We would learn uh, what it means to believe in you through her. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, one, of, one of the great privileges of being a pastor is I get, uh, it's, it is weighty, but I get, I get the honor of stepping into many of your lives when stuff has uh, happened that is very disruptive, um, when it feels like the whole earth is, is shaking in your heart and in your family's uh, life. And, and one time, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Moranville, and I, I got it okay with her to share this story, but her, her oldest son, River, was diagnosed with cancer a, a few years back. And I got to go to the hospital the night that uh, they found that news out. And Lindsay looked at River uh, and said, River, uh, we, God never promises us tomorrow, but, but he does give us today. And she meant it. And what I saw was the embodiment of the gospel of someone who has released control to God, even of their child, um, and someone who em embraces, she embraced in that moment what, what it means to live a dependent life in desperate need of some outside help. Um, now, Jesus understands that you can't always stay in a constant place of like desperation like that at all times. But what Jesus 
uh, does want you to know, and what he wants me to know, is that when it's all stripped away, and it will be for all of us at some point, when the very fabric of our life is, is stripped away, uh, he wants you to know that we're in a predicament that we can't fix in and of ourselves, but that he can that he is, he is the God who in those moments can save. And in our text, Jesus shows us what the real problem is and what the real solution is. Now, the context of our passage that Andrew just read is that Jesus had been approached by these people called the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, but he was in Gentile territory. He was in non-Jewish territory, and they were wondering why Jesus' disciples didn't eat with washed hands. Why they uh, didn't appear to be following the traditions or the, the rules that had been handed down to them from uh, people who believed in the Bible. And Jesus confronts them and he says, well, why do you disregard the actual commands of God for your tradition? And then to their face, he calls them hypocrites. And that word means when you wear a mask to pretend to be somebody that you're not. And then he quotes this prophecy in Isaiah and he says, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is very far away from me. And it, he says, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. And that's the context of our passage that, that we just read. And so people are, are gathering around Jesus and what he's showing these people and the disciples is what the real problem is with human beings and what the real solution is for human beings. And so the, those would be our, our two points this morning. What's the real problem? Uh, the real problem with every single person um, is internal. It's your heart. The heart in the Bible is a, a shorthand way of saying this is who you are holistically. It's more than your, your mind, your emotions. It's, it's everything that you are, and it's inside of you. It's your control center. Verse 11, it's not what goes into the mouth. That defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. This is the frightening thing about being a person. It's that every human being can't live up to their own standards, even that they have for themselves. That we, we condemn our, verse 17, it is what comes out of our mouth that condemns us. And the reason why is because it proceeds from the heart. And Jesus, Jesus says, this is what's in the heart. You, you have evil arguments. There's murder in your heart. There's adultery. There's stealing. There's lying. There's curses. And you may sit there and say, well, I, you know, I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered. Um, Jesus says that the, the roots of that are like, if, you, if you've ever been angry with somebody, that's murder. If you ever looked at somebody like, well, I should like to be with them. That's adultery. And that's what pollutes and defiles a person. And that's what's inside of us, all of us. It's not the outside, but the inside. Now, an environment, a circumstance can definitely make things much, much worse. But it just exacerbates what's already in, internal. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to the crowds, to the disciples... You can't shelter yourself enough. You can't separate yourself out enough to be pure. Like if you smell poop, 
Every, get kids in here? I just said poop. <laughs> if you smell poop everywhere you go, you might better check your own shoe, right? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. The, tra- the traditional person says if society would just conform to anything, to, to rules, we'd be in a much better place today. And the modern person says rules are the problem. Outside voices are the problem. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do or who I am. But, but the, part of the point here is that, you know, Jesus is saying, if you look inside your heart and you demand that everyone on the outside conform to you, in the end, that makes a society that's built around selfishness. We turn selfishness into a virtue. And it's very destructive for community, it's very destructive for any human relationship. And everyone in this room, everyone in the world, tends towards one side or the other to like protect the truth that's been handed down to us or to be free from rules. And Jesus says both ways are misguided. And the reason why is because there's a deeper problem, a much deeper problem. One of my children asked me during bedtime this past week, uh, Dad, why do you think we can't see ourselves, like without mirrors? Uh, It's a great question. Part, Part of what this passage shows us is that we need outside help to even know what it means to be a human being. We all think that we are unbiased and that we see information that's placed in front of us clearly. That we are fair in how we interpret the world around us and how we interpret ourselves. And Jesus says, you're going to fall into a ditch. You're going to fall into a ditch if you don't get some outside help. You're going to be uprooted if you don't listen to my words about who you are. Look, here's how this plays itself out. Um, I had a friend once who was living a very sexually active lifestyle. He wasn't married. And he was coming to Christian gatherings relatively often, coming to church every now and then. And I had developed a friendship with him uh, over the course of a couple of years. We would go lift weights together. And uh, we would go have conversations after we lifted weights at Smoothie King. Okay? And after, after a while, after like a year and a half, he just point blank asked me, he said, do you think I'm going to hell? And I said, I don't know. Then he said, do you think I'm living in sin? And I said, yes, I do. And then I said, but I am too. My sin just looks different than yours. I'm very selfish. I have a lot of anger. And the reason why is because my heart is desperately sick and bad. But that's why Jesus came. And then he said, but it doesn't seem like you're that bad. You seem like a decent enough person. And I said, you just got to be around me for a little bit longer. Or ask my family. And they'll tell you straight. God does not condemn someone based upon what they've done or not done particular actions. It's much deeper than that. And here's the root. When you've made a lifestyle of not trusting God into your identity, that's the root 
of a heart that's gone astray. When in your heart, when in your heart you say, God, you don't know me, and I don't trust you, and you don't control me, and what I'm doing isn't that bad anyway. That's the root. Their refusal to surrender to an outside voice because it's not your voice. Now, for some, for some, what that looks like in their lives, how it manifests in their lives, is to do whatever you want to sexually. For others, how that manifests itself in their lives is you're trying really, really, really hard to obey the Bible. For some, how it manifests in their lives is that you, you try to be, as one pastor says, you try to be really nice, and there's no better way to control somebody than just to be really nice to them. But all have their root in a distrust in, in God's fatherly gracious care over your life. And that's why Jesus came. God gave you his heart in Jesus, and to reject his heart is what condemns us. People aren't in hell because of particular actions and behaviors. People are in hell who have chosen to be outside of a relationship with God, made possible in Jesus Christ. That is a distinction that the church must realize. Look, everyone, uh, everyone knows deep down that we have a problem that is completely unmanageable. For the Pharisees, not eating certain foods or washing hands was equivalent to saying the wrong thing on social media today, and you're immediately pegged as a certain way, being belonging to a certain group. And Jesus says, look, I realize that everybody wants to be on the correct side of whatever, but everyone has a deeper problem that they can't work their way out of, or they can't align themselves out of, and it's in the bone. It's too late. We have trapped ourselves in our own net. And so what now? Well, if that is where you are, Jesus can work with you. This is the, this is the counterintuitive path to God. Uh, the moment you give up is the moment when the gospel can come in and say, you ready to see Jesus? You ready? Uh, this is the only person who can give you the internal rest that we're all after, every single one of us. What does it look like when someone actually believes that about Jesus? Well, that's what we have in the Syrophoenician woman. Shows us, she shows us what it means to actually have faith. I don't know if you guys watch uh, America's Got Talent. I don't. But I uh, saw a clip today, uh, or yesterday, because a friend of mine sent me this, this artist named Nightbird, and um, she was a contestant on America's Got Talent. She comes out there, and, and Simon, uh, the, the most critical judge, asks her like, what she's going to sing. She said, I'm going to sing a song called It's Okay. And he was like, well, what's the story behind that? And she said, well, I, I have, um, I've had cancer three times now, and I currently have it, and it's, it's in my body everywhere. And you can see Simon, you know, Simon's face dropped because he didn't know what, he didn't know how to respond. It's a bright, shiny stage, and he said, "I'm so sorry." And she said, "Oh, it's okay." 
I'm more than the bad stuff that, that happens to me. And in an inter- interview uh, prior to her coming on to American, um, America's Talent, whatever it's called, <laughs> um, she, said, uh, she said she found God on the bathroom floor after her husband left her. And she got cancer for the third time. And she's like, you know, you could call me scorned. You could call me lost. But you got to also call me blessed. Call me the one whom God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that have been hidden for me. She understood the solution. What's the solution to the human problem? Verses 21 through 28. This Syrophoenician woman is clearly an example of how to believe in God, which is our series. What do we learn in her approach to Jesus that we must not only understand, but we, we got to get this if we want to be saved. Uh, she first, she sees Jesus as the son of David. And that's important because Jesus was and is a Jewish man. Coming primarily to be the Messiah and Savior of the ethnic nation of Israel. And that would have immediately put this woman on the outside. She was a person that from an observable standpoint was, was far away from God. But that's Jesus's point with the people uh, around them. He's saying, look, there's going to be some that appear to be far away from me, but internally they're mine. And there's going to be some that appear to be close, but internally they don't know me. Their religion is functioning for them to get something besides God. But but here's this woman. She can't even come into the temple. She represents the enemies of God's people, Canaan. She is clearly cursed because her daughter's got a demon. And I want us to look at her approach to Jesus and the wisdom in it. Because it's the opposite of the Pharisees. So she comes to Jesus and she asks him for help. And, uh, you know, it's there in 23. It's almost like he's ignoring her, that Jesus doesn't even give her time of day. And in verse 23, the disciples come and say, Jesus, let's, let's send her away like she's a dog. And it appears like Jesus complies with their request because he, he tells her, look, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sounds like he said, I didn't come from people like you. And here's, here's where I want you to imagine the text, okay? She, she came and knelt before him. And the beauty of this next statement, uh, she, uh, she's, at her, you know, she's at his feet near the ground. And she just says, Lord, help me. Now it's got, you know, it's gone beyond begging. Now it's uncomfortable, right? Everybody's watching this. And Jesus says one of the most seemingly derogatory things that he's ever said. He looks at this woman in her deep distress while she's on the ground in front of him. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Is that the Jesus y'all know? What is he doing? 
He's showing the disciples particularly what their pride and self-righteousness looks like in all of its ugliness. He's showing them that they aren't much further away from the Pharisees and how they look down on people. But more importantly, what he's doing is that he's showing them the gospel. That the good news is that Jesus came into the world to save needy people. And if they don't see themselves in this Syrophoenician woman, that they have no hope. And verse 27, and this is probably my favorite line in all of the Bible, and what I want to name our our running team for Redeemer, for the market to market. Verse 27, this woman, in all her tenacity, in all her need, in all her freaking humor, says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Oh. That's how you believe in God. And the reason why is because she embraces her place with Jesus, but she calls his bluff. She knows his character. She she is both humbled and dignified in her approach to the Lord Jesus. She comes to him in the posture of surrender, but she knows that that whatever the king leaves behind is anything, anything that he leaves behind is better than whatever she brings to the table. What made her so desperate? What made her so desperate? Her daughter was not well. She was mentally and spiritually sick and oppressed. That meant that her daughter didn't have friends. That meant that she couldn't go on play dates with others mom, other moms because her daughter would hurt the other children. That's what you do when you got a demon inside of you. You hurt yourself and you hurt other people. They weren't safe people. And so what do you do when you're a mom in that, in that spot? You do anything for your child. And so she hears about this man, Jesus, that can heal. And he go, you know, when she goes to him, she, she gets worse than the cold shoulder from him. But she doesn't let go. And she says, okay, okay, so I'm a dog. I accept that. Give me some crumbs. Give me what falls off the table from the leftovers. That'll be enough and I'll be on my way. This is what it means to have faith. This is what Jesus says. This is great faith. How is it even possible for Westerners like ourselves to be this desperate. How? I had a, I had a Congolese student when I was doing RUF down in Texas, and I, and I said, his name was Israel. I said, what, what's the difference between the church in the Congo and the church in the U, USA? And he said, well, in the Congo, uh, we pray. <laughs> It's like, you know, you have medical insurance and hospitals. He's like, when you get sick in the Congo, uh, you don't have another option. You pray. Here's how to be this desperate. Uh, Suffering. When you suffer, it reminds you of what's really true. And here's the truth. Every human being at the core, at the root, is in desperate need. And we are helpless and poor without God, period. 
My friend said that in his town, they have this uh, trash pickup day called Bulky Item Collection Day, where you take anything in your house that's big and bulky, and you put it on the side of the road for people to come either pick it up or it gets taken to the dump by the trash. He said what, what happens is that... People from the poor neighborhoods go cruising down the streets of all the more wealthy neighborhoods because they know that anything that these rich people put out, put out in their house on the street is actually way better than whatever's in their home. And uh, that has to be your approach to Jesus if you want to understand how to believe in him, no matter who you are. That even his trash is better than what you got. Even his trash is better than what you're going after. What I love about this woman is that she did need something from Jesus, but she, need, she needed a change in circumstance. But what's more, she knew him. She knew him. She is one like Jacob who wrestles with God until she gets the blessing. Many times we don't give God our desperation, the desperation of our heart, because we've lost hope that he'll do anything. But it appears everywhere in Scripture that God, he really likes it. He seems to like it when we get feisty with him. And the reason why is because it means that he's got our hearts. This woman, she's neither cynical nor fearful. She's just desperate. She's just desperate. And Jesus dignifies desperate people when they direct that desperation towards him. To believe in God means that you are familiar with humility and extreme dignity. Now, let me, let me speak to you for a moment. As I've listened to you for about four years, as I've lived in and among you here in Lincoln, Nebraska, our, our group of people uh, in our camp, we, we tend to be pretty pretty okay with um, brokenness. Pretty okay with embracing, uh, yeah, okay, I can say I'm a dog. And that's just half of the gospel. Because the other half says that you're, you're actually royal. And that you have been invited like this woman into the family of God, into the very love of the Trinity itself. And that you've been placed as king and queen in whatever sphere you enter. And the dignity that comes with being in relationship to Jesus should go with you wherever you go. The honor. Which means that you are holy. Despite what you've done or not done or what's been done to you. You're pure. That your heart is not wicked anymore. That you can ask God anything. Ask Him for anything. And you are enough in Christ. Wallowing in how broken you are and never moving into the dignity of being at you have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. If you don't accept that word over your, your life, over your heart, 
that's, that's more prideful than, than thinking that you're better than other people because you're not accepting God's word over how much he loves you. It is faith in, in Christ's goodness that makes you move through this world knowing that, that you're more than the bad stuff that's happened to you, as Nightbird would say. That's what this Phoenician woman knew, and she would not let Jesus go until he blessed her. And he did. And her daughter was immediately healed. Now, uh, I'm, a side comment as we close. Did you know that Christianity um, was the first multicultural movement in the world? This, it started with women like this, this Syrophoenician woman. Uh, if, you, if you think, this is the, the issue in the New Testament. How are Jews and Gentiles going to inhabit the same space? You think we got division and problems in the church today? Read the New Testament. How in the world are, are Gentiles who can't even eat with Jews and vice versa going to inhabit the same space? Here's how. Every human being has the same problem and every human being has the same solution in Christ. We're all one in Christ. This is the, the mystery that's been hidden since the foundation of the world, Paul says. That's now been revealed and made manifest in Jesus Christ. That Jews and Gentiles are going to get together in the same person. That's what this passage is about. And how you believe in God is seen perfectly in this woman. And my plea to you today, my plea to myself, um, is to be desperate. How do you be desperate? Um, you can start through speaking to God. Asking Him. Asking Him to show you what that means. Um, and so let's do that now as we head into the table in confession. Father, we, uh, we, do, we do pray that you would show us the beauty of this woman's faith um, so that it pushes us towards you. We thank you that you've given us these these gospels, these stories of people that have encountered you. And Lord, we see ourselves in, in all of these people that have approached you. We see ourselves in, um, in how we run away from you, but how we also move towards you. And so, Lord, as we re receive your love by the Holy Spirit, help us to know um, that, that we are royal. That in, in your Son, uh, we sit in the heavenly places at your right hand. And we have an inheritance coming for us. Um, that's that's uh, not for you.